You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. I've got a little bit of a, a pet peeve. When somebody goes on a trip, maybe they go see family or they go on an awesome vacation and they come back and you say, how was your trip? And they tell you all about the travel part of the trip. Like, oh, well, we missed our flight and such and such, or there was rain here, and so the bus was delayed or whatever. I hate that um, because I know that a lot of times when you think back on a trip, those are the things that stick out, but that wasn't the point of the trip. The point of the trip was the place that you were going or the people that you were going to see, but oftentimes we kind of lose that purpose in the, the, the details, the minutia of the travel schedule. And because my dad was, uh, worked for the airlines, it was just kind of especially frustrating. People come back from a trip and you're like, how'd it go? Like, well, so-and-so didn't do this part right, and Delta failed to do that. And it's like, you know, there's weather that they can't really do anything about. And anyway, in this passage of Scripture, we have a travel log. And you think, what is so important about a travel log? Why are we being given all of these details about the journey that Paul takes from point A to point B? And I'm going to skip over some sections to try to give you the highlights, but Paul is making a journey to Jerusalem for what would be the final time. And Luke, who's giving us this written documentary, is giving us all of the details of the different places that he goes because in this travel log, in this journey, on his way to Jerusalem, some important things happen. And looking at this journey of Paul that he takes and the things that he encounters on the way, we see what it is that God wants our church to be, the kind of group that God is calling us uh, to be. You see, we're looking at Luke's written documentary so that we can get an idea of who Jesus was and the church that he birthed, what it was about. And last week we looked at the the writing of Luke in Acts chapter 2, or the first week we looked at the the writing of Luke in Acts chapter 2 where he tells us that the church is a new kind of generation. Whereas generations like ours that maybe came up in the 80s and the 90s, there are are touchstone moments, cultural moments, that everybody can remember where they were when it happened, like September 11th. For generations before mine, it was World War II. But when we come to put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we put our hope in Him, every generation has the common story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, saving us from our sin and giving us new life. And that's something that we can all be a part of no matter what generation we're in. So the church is a new generation. Last week we looked at Luke's writing in Luke chapter 5 where we see that Luke calls this, or Jesus calls this tax collector named Matthew to follow him and he throws a party for all of his tax collector friends and it's full of all of these people who are far from God and in that moment Jesus transforms lives and it's like a party that never stops. And today in this travelogue we're going to see that the church is a group that you just can't separate, that you can't pull apart. And probably in your life there have been people that you've been close to, groups of friends that you've been a part of. You were probably close to several people in high school, and at graduation you're like, we're going to stay friends forever, and you haven't seen them in 15 years, right? You're like, no, I saw them on Facebook the other day, and I think they're married and have a couple kids, I'm not sure, right? Because there are people in our life that for a season, for a period of time, we're close to them, but then circumstances change and we go in different directions, we have different interests, we're in a different season of life, and so we're no longer close. But church is not to be a group of friends that you're close to for this season while you're trying to 
fix something that's broken in you. Church is to be a group of friends that will never be separated, no matter the circumstances, no matter the distance, no matter the time, and even in death, we will always remain connected. And that's what we see for Paul in this travel log that starts in Acts chapter 20. Look at the very end of the chapter. We're going to start reading in verse 35. And when he came upon Acts chapter 20, verse 35, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And Paul is kind of giving them a final message in this one of the many stops he makes on this journey. Verse 36, And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. They're on a beach and they're saying goodbye because Paul's about to get into his ship. When they all wept sore and fell upon Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he had spoke, they should not see his face. They should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Paul is stopping on the several waypoints of his journey, talking with believers, people he's been close to, telling them, listen, I'm going to Jerusalem. There's a good chance you're never going to see me again. People are heartbroken over this message. Look down at the next chapter, verse 1. It came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with straight course unto Coos and straight unto, and the day following unto Rhodes and from thence unto Patera. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand and sailed unto Syria and landed on Tyre, for there the ship was to unlade her burden. It was kind of a layover. All the cargo on the ship had to be taken off, new cargo put on. So while they're there, they go into the city. And finding disciples, finding believers, people who believed in Jesus, we tarried there seven days, who said to Paul through the Spirit that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Look down at verse 10. And as we tarried there many days and came down from Judea, a certain prophet named Agabus when he had come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break my heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we took up our carriages and went unto Jerusalem. Paul's making his journey to Jerusalem because he feels like God is telling him to go there, but it's clear to everyone that it is dangerous there. And that when he gets there, he's going to be arrested and thrown in prison. That's exactly what ends up happening. Paul spends the rest of his days in prison, going from trial to trial, and eventually appearing before Nero, who puts him to death. He loses his life. And all along the way, there are people that are trying to warn Paul and telling him, don't go, you're going to be hurt. And what we see here in these moments is as Paul is making this journey, God is bringing friend after friend after friend into his life that he can count on, that cares for him, that is for him. And friend, I want you to know that in God's church, that's what he wants to do in your life. 
to bring friend after friend who is for you and helps you see the truth of the Lord and give you direction. Let me tell you why I'm, I'm so personally excited and passionate about this message. When I was 12 years old, my father had worked for the airlines in Nashville, and we were transferred to Norfolk. And so we lived there, and I started going to this new church. I was 12 years old. When I left Nashville, I thought all of the friends in the world that I would ever make were in Nashville. Figured when I got to, to Virginia, I wasn't going to know anybody. I wasn't going to like anybody. It was going to be awful. You know, I was just a teenager or about to be a teenager, like convinced this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. When I lived in Nashville, we lived on a corner lot with this huge oak tree. It was the perfect place to play hide-and-seek. It was the, the default place where we would play football and kickball. All of my friends came over to our house all of the time, and I moved to Virginia, and I didn't know anybody. And so through that summer, I like, didn't know what to do. And the church that we were attending, they were taking their youth group to a baseball game to see the minor league local team play, and I went... I like baseball, I didn't know anybody, and this guy walked up and he said, hey, you're Daniel, right? I'm Justin. And I am still friends with Justin 23 years later. Justin and I became really close friends, and he introduced me to other people, and I developed this whole new group of friends, and I was no longer lonely, I had a good group of friends, and these were friends that would encourage me to do the right things, and... Many of those guys today are somewhere in a church doing exactly what I'm doing, preaching. Because God put me in contact with a group of friends that wanted to seek after the Lord. Now, how many of you know that that could have gone very differently for me? That I could have moved to a new city and made a new group of friends that would have led me in the absolute wrong direction. But because I got into a group with, with a good friends, it made all the difference in the world for me. Justin walked over and introduced himself. And what I, what I believe wholeheartedly is that God wants to do for you what he did for me that day. Maybe in this worship service, maybe as a part of this church, God wants to constantly bring you into contact with people who will help you make better choices, become more like the person that Christ would have you to be, realize your God-given potential and gifts, and set you on a path that leads to your, your wholeness and your restoration. Instead of being on a path encouraged by your friends, prodded on by your friends to go and do the wrong thing. Because we all have a friend who has encouraged us to do the wrong thing, right? Every one of us. And if you don't have any friends like that, you are that friend, all right? <laughs> Stop encouraging all of us to do the wrong thing. What I hope is that as God builds our church, as we seek to, to build the church that he would have us to build, that there is this constant plugging in of people into to relationships and friendships that are going to lead you in the right direction. That's what happened for Luke. In this passage of Scripture, we see Luke watching Paul take this journey. And Luke was someone who became very close friends with Paul and saw all of the things that God was doing in his life. And it began to make a difference in Luke's life. And so when Paul makes this ultimate, fateful, last journey, even though he's been given warnings, Luke goes with him because they're tight. They're close friends. All of this is, 
important, and all of this matters because our mission here at Faith Church is to build the church our friends and neighbors will join and our children will lead. We're trying to build the church that our friends and our neighbors will come to join, that will come to be a part of, and they will build it further, and their friends will come to be a part of it. And I'm not talking about building the bricks and mortar of the structure. I'm not talking about the drywall and the mud and the paint and the trim. I'm talking about the, the church that is this organization, this gathering of people, this group of people who are growing closer, who are seeing God work in our midst. We're seeing God bring about incredible miracles in our marriages, in our families. God's doing these incredible things because we are plugging in to a group that is seeking the Lord. And if you go to build a building, you keep the the bricks together with mortar and you keep the wood together with screws and nails. And the way that we put our church together on the foundation of Christ, the way that we are secured to one another is in relationships and friendships. And we cannot have a church without relationships and friendships any more than we could have a building without screws and nails or just bricks and no mortar. There's got to be something that binds us together, that holds us fast to one another, so that one of us, when one of us begins to drift off into a lane that we shouldn't be in, the rest of us can say, hey, let's, let's focus, let's refocus on Jesus. I believe this is supported in God's Word because what we see here in God's Word is not only the design that the Lord would have us to follow in building of his church with the way that this is all constructed and comes together. And the blueprints for the church that we're building, that our friends and neighbors will join, that our children will rise up and lead one day, the blueprints for it are in God's Word. They're in these pictures that Luke gives us of the early church that Jesus founded and birthed and designed. And so what we see happening here for Paul with all of these friends is that He's making his way to what will be an awful journey. He'll be in prison, he'll be alone, he'll be killed. And on the way, God is giving him this gift of friendship and fellowship and all of these people encouraging him and supporting him. Now, we've got a little bit of a problem because when we hear the word fellowship, we have this picture in our mind of what that's supposed to look like. Here at our church, we have a gym, also often referred to as the fellowship hall. Because after service, when we eat or we have some gathering for a picnic or something, we meet in there and we eat. And so because of that, we have often connected in our minds that fellowship means food. All right? And so when I say the word fellowship, those of us who have Baptist backgrounds, we think of fried chicken, right? And chicken and dumplings, okay? And that's great, but that's not fellowship. All right? Fellowship is this strong bond that brings us all together. And because this word has been lost into the idea of just gathering together to eat and to hang out for a few minutes after church with some food, people have started using the word community. And they've augmented it further with the idea of authentic community or biblical community. But the idea is to be what we see happening here for Paul in this passage of Scripture. He has people who are close to him, that care about him, and are able to speak into his life and say, hey, Paul, I don't know that this is the right thing to do. And you probably have some people in your life that are your friends or they're your acquaintances, but how many people do you have in your life that can say, hey, I don't know if this is the right thing to do? Because we all need that. (laughs) 
It's almost as if God is giving Paul this dose of community right before he's going to go through this hardship. He's giving Paul a shot in the arm of friendship right before he goes through what is going to be the most trying experience of his life. But this is not happening because Paul is a weak Christian. Paul is a spiritually mature man. He is someone who has planted churches. He's led the church. He knows God's word. He's followed it. He's been obedient to it. And so God isn't pushing these friends around Paul in this moment because he's a weak Christian. And I'm afraid that sometimes we have this idea in our heads that we need support groups or help when we got problems, but if we don't have problems, then we don't need support or help. And that if you're strong emotionally or spiritually, you don't need friends. And that is not the truth. There is absolutely nothing, nothing spiritually mature about being a loner. God did not make you that way. He didn't intend for you to be that way. All right, let's rewind in the Bible all the way back to the very beginning. God creates the world, and after every portion of creation, what does he say? He's good. God looks back at his work, and he says, I did a pretty good job on that. That looks great. And he says that after every step of creation, he says, this is good. And he takes a rest. Then he comes to the sixth day, and he creates man, and he says, this is good. But then he says, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, we all know that there's a lot of problems with man. Some women really shaking their heads hard right now. There's some problems with mankind. There's some problems with us. And those are all the result of what happens later in Genesis chapter 3 when man and woman sin. They do wrong, and it brings all this hurt and heartache into the world. But this hadn't happened yet. God looks at man and says, it's not good for him to be alone, and he hasn't even messed up yet. Adam was perfect. He had the perfect relationship with the Lord. They walked together in the cool of the day. He was incredibly close with God, and yet he was still lonely. You can be absolutely fine and be lonely. You can be close with the Lord and still have this need for friends. And that's not a sign of deficiency or weakness. God made you that way. When God made you, when God made us, and we were at the height of our creation, we were designed for relationships. So there's nothing spiritually mature about being a loner. Because there's nobody here closer to God than Adam was. And God said it's not good for him to be alone. Even if you were perfect, and nobody in here is, I hate to break it to you, even if you were perfect, you'd still need good, godly friends. All of us need friends. Now, not all of us need to be homecoming king, okay? Because God made us all for relationships, but he made us differently. Larry Osborne, in his book, Sticky Church, compares us to Legos. And some of us are like the, you know, the bottom of a building. You know, these are my son's Legos. This is the piece that you grab when you're going to build a big building or a spaceship, right? All these connection points. You can put all of these. Some of us are more like this piece, right? This is the extrovert, likes talking to everybody. This is the introvert, right? This is the person that when we have handshaking time, they're upset that the music's already started because they didn't get all the way to the back row to shake every person's hand. This is the person that goes to the bathroom during the handshaking time. (laughs) Or sits in the overflow. I'm on to you, overflow people. (laughs) 
We're, di- we're different, right? Some of you, this is how your personality is, and you're married to a person like this, right? Some of you, you are gregarious, you're the life of the party, you want to talk to everybody, you've got a thousand friends, and your brother or your sister is like this, right? God made us different, and neither one of these is wrong. So it may be that you don't need as many friends or have the capacity for as many friends as other people do, but you're still built for friends. Because no matter how many connectors you've got, you were still built for connection. You were still built for relationship. Every one of us. And that looks different for all of us, but God has made us all this way. And so there's nobody here that says, I'm fine. I don't need any friends. I don't want any friends. I had friends once and it was overrated. I'm good. We're all built for relationships. And this matters. Because however many connections you have is going to determine who you are. Show me your five closest friends and I will show you your future. You think about that. You are the average of your five closest friends. And so whoever it is that's connected to your set, whoever it is that has that place of influence in your life, whoever it is that has that, they're going to influence you. And some of you, you're, you're like this, and all your connectors are full of bad influences. And the average of the connections that you have is, is not who you want to be. And that's difficult to hear because the last thing that we want to do is, is pull somebody off. Now, let me just be clear, all right? Some of you here, you got some friendships that you need to disengage from. 100%. So there's some of us, we got, we got really no friends. Some of us, we get the wrong kind of friends. How do we have the right kind of friends? How do we have the connections that we need to have so that we're building into the person that God wants us to be, so that we're connected to the church and we're building this church that God would have us to build? I I love this, this statement by Tim Keller. It's kind of a paradox. He says, spiritual friendships are not merely made, they're discovered. And spiritual friendships are not merely discovered, they're made. So what does that mean, Pastor Daniels? What we see on display in this passage Paul has some friends that he just discovers. The passage tells us that there's a layover. Remember, they had to unload the ship, and they go in the tire. Paul didn't start a church in that place, but they went and they found some believers. And Paul hadn't started that church, but he came to know those people and was maybe familiar with them because he knew the person that started that church, and he has some time with them. And these people have the audacity to tell Paul, the planner of all of these churches, this guy that they're just meeting, hey, Paul, you're not doing this right. Now, I want you to think about the way that you would react if somebody did that to you. You would say, who do you think you are? But Paul has this immediate close bond with these people because he's discovered they believe in Jesus like he believes in Jesus. And when we put our faith in Christ... And he makes this difference in our lives. He begins to transform us. We have this thing in common with other believers. 
And the person here who has also put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ and experienced His forgiveness from sin and His restoration in their lives, if you've experienced that too, you got more in common with them than the person that you went to kindergarten with all the way through college. Because they've experienced what you're experiencing on this supernatural heart level. And this happens because Christ has made us His friends. John 15, 15, Jesus says, I don't call you servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I call you friends. For all things that I have of my Father I have made known unto you. You know what Jesus was saying? He goes, I don't call you servants. I call you friend, because everything that God has done, I am giving you access to. That's what every one of us needs. Because you and I are far from God, and we are not able to reach Him. So Jesus came here, He lived a perfect life, and died on the cross, so that He could take the hand of God and take our hands and connect us to the Lord. He's the Lego piece that connects us all to the Lord. And when we are connected to Him, we're also connected to everyone else that's put their faith in Christ. Everyone else who's been connected to the Lord. And some of you here, and this makes absolutely no sense to you because you've not, you've not been connected to Jesus. You've not experienced His grace and forgiveness in your life. But when God makes us His friends through the love and sacrifice of Jesus, we're connected to one another. And so God not only makes us friends with Him, He makes us friends with each other. And you know what's so beautiful about this? What's so beautiful about this is that God brings together people that have no business being friends. He brings together people that are such, from such different ethnic, economic, social geographical backgrounds that it only makes sense that they're friends because of what Jesus has done. I read a, some people went to visit at Washington, D.C., and while they were there visiting Washington, D.C., they went to church. By the way, that's, that's healthy. Go to church when you're on vacation. It's healthy for you to, to still hear God's word on a Sunday, but also to be a visitor first time. Helps, helps us understand what it's like for new people who show up here. They went to church while they were on vacation in D.C., and it just so happened that that church was taking in new members that Sunday, and when they called the new members to come forward so they could be brought into the church, there was a brand new senator who had just been elected and a dishwashing immigrant who just recently come to the country for religious asylum. And how is it that this guy from Iowa or Nebraska or some other state in the Midwest and this guy are fast friends? Because they go to a membership class at this church and they believe in the same God. And they've experienced the same forgiveness of their sins. And it's been beautiful to watch that take place here at our church. I'll tell two, I'll tell two stories because the people aren't here. Daryl Linda Alvis moved uh, to North Carolina to be closer to the daughter a few years ago. And I was just totally moved when I found out. This has been going on for a couple years. I didn't even know about it. There was a little girl who came to our church that her father was in prison. So whenever her school had donuts with dad, he went with her. There's no reason for them to have that close bond and connection other than Jesus. June Scale's not able to be here today. She's in the hospital. Her health is failing. But over the period of a long time, several months, this girl that we had ministered to at our church and she was living in a halfway house and June would pick her up from the halfway house, bring her home so she could wash her clothes and have a home-cooked meal once a week. For, for a long time this went on. 
You know what that was? That was Jesus. And when we're following Jesus, the thing that binds us together is His work in our hearts and lives. And so it doesn't matter if we're from different ends of the globe, or one of us is broken, the other one is loaded. We get Jesus in common. And that, that, that breaks down any barriers between us. So Christian friendships are discovered. But Christian friendships also take work. Because while there's this relationship that we have in common with Christ that makes us fast friends, like any type of relationship, they take work. If you still got your Bible open, look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 13. There's this verse that I just love, reading over this story again. I, I, I picked up on it. This is part of the travelogue, and Luke says, And we went before to the ship and sailed unto Azos, and there intending to take in Paul, for so had he appointed, minding himself to go foot. You know what he's saying? He's like, we took a ship, but Paul was just like determined to take, go foot by foot. You know what he's saying? He's saying, like, we had this ship lined up, and Paul wanted to walk for whatever reason, so he walked, and we took the ship. Can you imagine how hard it would have been to be friends with Paul? There's a guy in the New Testament church that he was so encouraging, so uplifting, so life-giving, that they changed the guy's name to literally mean encourager, because that's what he did all the time. They changed his name to Barnabas, which literally meant encourager. That guy got along with everybody, but he and Paul had a falling out. Because Paul's stubborn, man. And anybody that's mission-minded can be hard to get along with at times, can be difficult to get along with at times. Paul was so focused on the mission, that was the most important thing to him, was doing whatever it was that God had called him to do. So when these people are saying, listen, don't go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested, Paul says, that's great, I appreciate your words, you're breaking my heart, but i got to go because that's what God has called me to do. And it's hard to get along and be a friend to a mission-minded person I know because I am one. And there are times in my own life when People want to talk about whatever, but I just keep trying to bring the conversation back to what are we going to do about reaching these people in Chandler and all around us? It's hard, it's hard to be my parents. It's hard to be related to me. I was talking to my dad uh, last week about our, our plans for Christmas and when we're flying in. And he was like, you know, Daniel, if you flew in on Christmas Eve, the tickets are a little bit cheaper. The flight's guy's like, no, Dad. Christmas Eve is going to be the new Easter in a postmodern culture. I'm going to be doing church on Christmas Eve because that is going to be one of the most effective ways for us to reach people. My dad didn't argue with that because he knew that I wasn't going to budge on that. Paul was a mission-minded guy and he was constantly focused on that. It had been hard to get along with him at times. It would have taken some work for Luke to stay friends with him. And some of you, if you're honest, you're hard to get along with. Right? It takes some work. And even when we put our faith in Jesus, and even when we're experiencing His redemptive work in our lives, and even when we're on His team, and we're headed, there's still some things that we disagree on, and there's still some things where feathers get ruffled, and it takes work. And don't you get to a place where I'm going to be friends as long as it's easy. Because friends who are easy come are easy go. The passage that we read, Luke is joining in with this group of people that's saying, Paul, you really shouldn't go. 
Paul, it's not safe. Don't go. Luke says, uses the word we in those verses. And then Paul says, I got to go. And Luke uses we again in the verse that says, and we went with him to Jerusalem. He tried to convince him not not to go. And in these moments, Paul doesn't say, listen, I don't know what you're smoking. I don't know what the Spirit of God told you, but the Spirit of God told me that I got to go, so I'm going to go, and you can just deal with it. No, he says, I appreciate you caring for me, and I appreciate the Holy Spirit's trying to show me how, much, how passionate you are for me, but I know that God has told me that this is what I got to do. And Paul wasn't so stubborn and so proud that he wasn't willing to realize that God could use the Spirit in his friends to show him the right path ahead. And God wants to surround you with a group of friends that the Spirit can work through to show you the right steps ahead, the right things to do. Christian friendships are discovered in Christ's church, but they're made through openness and commitment. And Paul is open with them, and they are open with him. And they're committed to him, and he is committed to them. We're not going to develop strong friendships by just showing up here once a week. We're going to have to be open with one another. We're going to have to be committed to one another. I'm going to have to be committed to like you even when you're not likable. And you return the favor. Like me when I'm not likable. I'm going to be faithful and obedient to be open with you even in moments that it's difficult. To challenge you, to hold you accountable, to rebuke you. And you do the same for me. Because that is a gift of the Lord. Paul says, thank you. Paul's open with his feelings. He's open with his plans. Paul doesn't say, listen, you have no... You have no right to tell me what I ought to do. He says, I appreciate that, but I feel like God's telling me that i got to go. Even though it is going to be dangerous, I have to go. And Luke goes with him. One of our values here at Faith Church is we believe that world-changing disciples are handmade. They can't be mass-produced. And if we're going to be changed by the power of the Lord, it's not going to be because we push everybody through an assembly line. Because what's an assembly line try to do? Assembly line tries to simplify the process, right? And there's nothing simple about becoming like Jesus. It takes hands-on, unique, detailed work. And so for us to be handmade, we've got to get within arm's reach. We will never become the disciples that God intended us to be. We will never become the people that God intended us to be if we keep everyone at arm's reach. Because disciples are handmade. So some of you right now, you're in that spiritual loner phase. You're like, I don't need friends. I don't need people. And you've got to get past that. Some of you, you had friends and they turned on you. They betrayed you. And so you have been, you've been playing defense with your heart and you've been trying to guard it from getting close to anyone so that you can't be hurt when they betray you again or they fail you again. Some of you have gotten close to your heroes and seen how imperfect they are and been super disappointed, and so you're cynical, and you don't, have, you don't have faith that anybody can be real. 
And whatever it is that the friendships of your past have, have, have brought up in you, you've got you to trust the Lord and put those aside and be open and committed so that you can be a handmade disciple. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.